Jeremiah chapter 30. And I'd like to talk on a great big subject in just a few minutes. Jeremiah chapter 30, and I want to read the first three verses and the last two verses of this chapter. Jeremiah 30, may we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for all we have experienced tonight. We're so glad that Jesus saves. Tonight we pray that the Word will be clear and somebody who has never been saved will come to Jesus. And every Christian will be reminded that one day we'll have to give a report. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah preached about many things. I'm sure by now, since we've talked about it all through the month of January, that you've got sort of a glimpse of what Jeremiah was all about. He was called to preach to a rebellious nation. A nation, Judah, who had not learned from her northern sister Israel that God would not tolerate sin. The Assyrians took Israel in 722 B.C. But the, Judy, Ju the people of Judah, of Jerusalem, just kept on in their sins, rebelling against God, wayward, desecrating the Sabbath, committing not only physical adultery, but spiritual adultery and idolatry, and going farther and farther away from God. And so God called Jeremiah to go down to Jerusalem in the year 626 B.C. and preach. And for 40 years he preached. He preached of God's love. He preached of God's warning, of God's judgment. And one of the themes in Jeremiah's preaching was the day of the Lord. And in this chapter, there is a view or a preaching of the day of the Lord that is almost a summary of what the entire Bible says about the day of the Lord. And I want to read a little bit of it and then talk about the other part. In Jeremiah 30, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And in verse 23, Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it. Now the day of the Lord is the theme of this entire chapter. And I want to call your attention to some truths that are spoken in this chapter concerning God's carrying out what he said he would do. Thus saith the Lord, God said it, and whether we believe it or not, that settles it. Because the eternal word of God is true. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And in the, Jer the preaching of Jeremiah, he warned the nation Judah that they could not get by with sin, that sin would be punished, 
there was coming a day of captivity, of Babylonian captivity, and the Babylonians would come in and march around the city and would sack the city and burn the walls and tear the temple down and take the people into captivity. But the people said, we're God's people. We're holy people. That could never happen to us. But God said it. And in the year 585, the Babylonian hordes came, surrounded the city, and for two years besieged the city. And the people inside got so hungry and so filled with famine that some of them killed their own little children and ate them. And then on a given day, when given permission by God because of the sins of the Jews, the walls were torn down, the gates demolished, the temple destroyed, the people led into captivity. God said it, and it happened. Now, before that ever happened, God said, Jeremiah, this is what's going to happen. You tell the people, you warn them, but you warn them that that is just a little bit, it's just an illustration of what will ultimately happen in the end days. Because there is coming a day of the Lord upon the entire earth. And what occurs in the Jew's life is a symbol of what is going to occur in the entire world because nobody can get by with sin. The rest of this chapter deals with Israel or Judah as an illustration of what God will do in the world. And I suppose the theme would be verse 23 and 24. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it, and until he has performed the intents of his heart in the latter days ye shall consider it. Now the Jews have been God's chosen people. Somebody has said, keep your eyes on the Jews. They're God's time clock. They're God's calendar. However God deals with the Jews, this is the way we will understand where we are in God's calendar of events or timetable or blueprint of the ages. If you watch what's happened to the Jews, in 585 the Babylonians came and destroyed that nation and the Jews went into captivity. For 70 years they were in captivity. Under the edict of Cyrus, they came back through Ezra and Nehemiah and rebuilt the temple and the walls and then had a, a time when they were in their own homeland, though they were not a nation. The Greeks came and then the Romans. And in the time of Jesus, the Romans were there. They were in charge. Jews had no national home life. That is, no nation, no government. They were, there were puppet kings. Herod was a puppet king. Pontius Pilate was a Roman procurator, and so on in the time of Jesus. And Jesus spoke of the time when Jerusalem would be destroyed. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed again. It was never, the temple was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. And the Jews never had another homeland, a national government, until the year 1948 in the lifetime of many of us. Now this scripture says that the day of the Lord is coming and it will be a severe time, a serious time, and a great time. And I want to sum it up by saying the scripture says in this chapter that it's a time of triumph and it's also a time of trouble. Now triumph will come after trouble. And in the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh verse, we read about the time of trouble. 
These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and of not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The scripture says that the day of the Lord is a time of special trouble for Judah, a time of trouble for Jerusalem, a time of trouble for the Jews. Now the Jews are back in their homeland today, but there is coming another day of severe trouble. If you compare scripture with scripture, and we have not time to look at all the passages in Psalms, in Isaiah, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in Revelation that deal with the day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble. But if you should study it, you would learn that this speaks of a time at the end, at the end of the age. After the Lord comes the second time and gathers unto himself those who are his own, takes the saved out, the bride of Christ, the church, and we're with the Lord, there will come a time of severe testing, a time of great tribulation. According to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, 26, and 27, the Antichrist who lives in that period and who rules will make a covenant with Israel. And he will appear to be their Messiah. An interesting truth was revealed when we were recently in the Holy Land. Our guide, Elena, gave us some insights into the kind of Messiah the Jews are expecting. She said there are no atheists in Israel today. Now, of course, she didn't mean they were Christians because the Jews do not believe in Jesus. But she said the Jews in Israel believe in God. And she said, we're looking for our Messiah. And one night at a supper table, I talked to her about the Messiah and tried to reason to her from Isaiah 53 and other scriptures relating to the coming of Jesus. Oh, she said, the Messiah we're looking for is a political figure. He's not God. She said, we're looking for someone who will come and throw off the yoke of the Assyrians, of the Arabians, of the Egyptians, of the Russians, and of all the peril. And she said, we're on a powder keg. Anytime this whole nation could be exploded and blow up, we're looking for a Messiah that will come and give us peace. Do you know what kind of Messiah they're looking for? They're looking for the one the Bible calls the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist will come and make a covenant with the Jews, reestablish their temple, reestablish their government, and will give them peace for three and a half years. And in the middle of this period of time, according to Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews, and he will offer the abomination that maketh desolate. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 24. The abomination that maketh desolate is a term that people understood when Jesus spoke of it. It is something that had already occurred, and Jesus said it is yet future. And this is another way of understanding Bible prophecy. There are some truths that are revealed in the Bible that are prophetic of things that are to be fulfilled in a yet greater way. During the Maccabean period, Antigus Epiphanes came marching into the city of Jerusalem. He hated the Jews, 
And in order to insult them, he put a sow on the altar of the Jewish temple that had been rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. And he built a temple to Jupiter in that, uh, 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 rather a statue to Jupiter in the temple. And this so infuriated the Jews that it led to the Maccabean revolt under Judas, Matthias, Mattathias, and Judas Maccabean, Maccabeus. Now Jesus said that, and that, that abomination that maketh desolate is to reoccur. It's going to be in the last days. It will be in the day of the Lord. Thus we learn from Jesus in Matthew 24 that the Jews will be back in their own homeland. They will have a temple. They will be reestablished in their worship. And there will come a time when the leader, the political leader, having made a covenant, will break that covenant and offer an abomination that maketh desolate. And Jesus said when that occurs, it will be the time of Jacob's trouble. You read it in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and so on. Now Jesus said, uh, Jeremiah said to the Jews, there is coming the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord will be a time of trouble. We who are not Jews can learn from this. We can learn that there is coming a time when we'll have to give a report. There's coming a day of the Lord. There's not one of us that will escape it. Those who are saved will have our day of the Lord, and I'm taking this out of context and spiritualizing it. We will have our day of the Lord according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There is no Christian that will escape that. We'll have to give a report. It's just like at income tax time, we have to all get our income tax things in. And we give a report of all we've made. We can hedge, and we can deceive, and we can lie and cheat and so on, but there will more than likely come an evening up day, and we'll all be, have to give an account of that. Now, the Scripture says we're going to have to give an account of how we've behaved while we've been in the body, what we've done with our opportunities, what we've done with our time, what we've done with our abilities, what we've done with what God gave us. This is the day of the Lord. Suppose that day of the Lord should come tomorrow. You see, that day of the Lord can come any moment, any hour. For if we understand the Scripture correctly, it comes immediately after the rapture. When the believers are caught up together to be with the Lord, then takes place the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment seat is not to determine whether we go to heaven or hell. That's already been decided right here. For when we receive Christ as our Savior, as Pat and, uh, and Jim and Bob and others have testified tonight, when we receive Christ as our Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. We're saved. We're saved forever. But we still have to give an account of the way we've used the time and the energies and the abilities and the talents that God has given us. We're going to have to give an account of how much we know about His book, His guidebook, because we will be judged according to whether we kept the Scriptures. Our friends who preach and teach in what is called other churches, I'll not name them, they talk much about obeying the gospel. 
And I want to tell you, they've got a corner on some of the truth. We don't talk about it nearly enough. We're not going to heaven or hell on the basis of whether we obey the gospel. But we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ on the basis of how well we obeyed what Christ told us to do. That's the reason everybody gets saved ought to be baptized, not in order to get a he- go to heaven, but because Christ told us to. That's the reason that people that are saved ought to tithe their income and be generous with the Lord in our offerings and givings because Jesus told us to. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the reason we need to tell everybody we can about Jesus and give our money to missions, to missionaries who go when we cannot go because Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Jesus told us to do that and we'll have to give a report of how well we followed out what he told us to do. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a day of report. And for the Jews, it will be a day of severe trouble. But all praise God, after that day of trouble is over, it's going to be a day of triumph. And most of this chapter deals with the triumph. Isn't that interesting? It's sort of like, and and the illustration of a a woman travailing with child, the awful pain that a woman goes through to bring a precious little life into this world is severe. Maybe some more severe than others. Maybe it used to be more severe than it is now with all kinds of modern science, medicines, and so on. But still, it is a severe time. But you ask any mother that has a precious little child in her home, was it awful painful for you when that little baby was born? She says, well, let me see. Yeah, I guess it was. But I'll tell you, the joy of having that child is so much more than the pain, right? Women, is that true? I see some head shaking. You see, that's what the Scripture says here. After the trouble, the triumph. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of trouble. It's going to be a day of severity, but it's also going to be a day of triumph. And listen to this. In Jeremiah 30, verse 8, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck. In other words, there's going to be an evening up time, and those who have hurt the Jews will be broken. And then, there sh- and, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more enslave them. There's going to be no more tyranny. Look in verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and, verse, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. It's going to be a time of service to the Lord, and a time when the Messiah will be reigning as king. Look in verse 10. Therefore fear thou not. There is nothing to be afraid of. It's going to be a time of fearlessness. I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. These are precious promises that are given to the Jews long before the Babylonian captivity as a testimony of things that would happen at the end of the age when the day of the Lord should occur, a day of Jacob's trouble, a day of terrible severity, and then when all that's over, a day of triumph and glory. And I think these are spiritually truths, spiritual truths that can be applied to our hearts. In verse 11, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations to which I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. These are promises to the Jews. I'll not make an end to thee. Listen, please, whatever you do, don't mistreat the Jews. Every nation that has ever done that has gone down in tragedy and defeat. 
I don't understand all about it, but God has his hand on the Jews. Now, you may not like them. You may not even love them, but we need to love them. They may not be very lovable, very likable. I know, for example, you go to Israel today, the Arabs are much more lovable than the Jews. You deal with Jews today, and if there are Jews in the audience tonight, I'm not insulting you, but you deal with Jews today, they're not so lovable. They always know how to get the best of the bargain. They know how to get the money. And somehow there's built up something inside of us that doesn't like that. But I want to tell you, Jesus was a Jew. And the Bible says that God promised to bless them that bless, uh, bless the Jews and to curse them that curse the Jews. And in the same chapter, we're going to learn that. And, and in this passage, the promise is here. For though I make a full end of the nations to which I have scattered thee, I will not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. That's an axiom as to the way God deals with his people. He says, I'll correct you. I'll not make a full end of you, but I'll correct you. This is the way he deals with his children. This is the way he deals with those who are saved. He says, I'll not make a full end of you. I'm not going to give you, put you in hell. I'm not going to throw you away, but I will correct you. I may have to whip you. I may have to deal with you as a father deals with his children. And I may have to let some problems come to you, but I'll not forsake you. I'll make, not make a full end of you. And this is a wonderful, wonderful warming promise to believers. Listen, God loves you. Whatever your problem, whatever you're going through, whatever adversity you go through, don't get mad at God about it. Don't resent God. Don't shake your face and fist in God's face and say, well, God, if you're going to be like that, I'll just, I'll just pout and walk away from you and I'm not going to do anything for you. Don't do that. Come to the Lord and say, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. You have home problems. You have financial problems. You have, is somebody, has somebody hurt you and squeezed you down under their thumb? Has somebody broken the covenant of love with you? Has somebody insulted you? Are you going through a dark valley? Don't get mad at them. And don't allow yourself to say, I'm going to be filled with vengeance and I'm going to pout and I'm going to get bitter and I'm going to be mean and resentful. You see, you can do that, but it doesn't hurt anybody but you. Not anybody. That doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you. And you see, you don't break the law of God. You get broken on it. There's not one of the laws of God that ever gets broken. It's eternal. But when we disobey it, we're the ones that get broken on it. And when we do not come back and forgive those who have been ugly to us, when we do not come back and ask God to give us the grace and the strength and the mercy to love those that hate us, to bless those that curse us, to do good to those that despitefully use us, we're not hurting them, we're hurting ourselves. And the Lord said, I'll have to deal with you, I'll have to whip you, but I'll not make a full end of you. I'll bring you back. Look in verse 17, for I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast. Look in verse 18, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. Verse 19, and out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. It will be a great day of triumph, and the voice of singing will be heard in the land. In verse 20, 
Their children also shall be as they were before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. Now, I believe that that is originally written concerning the Jews. I will punish them who, who oppress them. Now, you just look down through history. That's happened over and over again. <clears throat> Eichmann thought he had gotten by with what he did. I think he's a tragic illustration. You know, after we, yesterday we observed Franklin Roosevelt's 100th birthday. No matter what we thought of him politically, we have to respect him as one of the great Americans. He may have led us too far to the left, and maybe we're going back to the right now, I pray. But Franklin Roosevelt was a man for his day to lift us out of the awful drudgery and depression and discouragement and defeat of those days of soup lines and no jobs and tragedy and suicide. But in 1945, when I was 15 years old, Franklin Roosevelt died. That same year, a little bit later, Adolf Hitler committed suicide. When he died, there was a legend and a rumor that he wasn't really dead, that he had flown out of there and gone somewhere maybe in the South America, and they even pinpointed Argentina. And any of you who were around at that time remember those stories. Hitler's not really dead. He's gone to Argentina. But finally, we settled down to believe that he was dead. But there was something in the Jewish mind that said, we don't know whether he's dead or not, we're going to look. And so they began to look and look and look and look and look. And they looked up and down the streets and the lanes and the avenues and the back cities and the back countries and the little highways and the byways of the South America. And finally they moved in to a certain place and they moved in a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. They didn't know who they got, but they got him. They didn't bother to go through the government of Argentina. They just took him back to Israel. And it was Eichmann who had been personally responsible for killing six million Jews. One time in Jerusalem, I saw the place where his trial was held. And the guide significantly said, Eichmann was an illustration to all of civilization that you cannot get by with mistreating the Jews. Now he said that in pride, and some of you may shiver and say, well, that's just egotism. But that's biblical. You can't do it. You can't do it. God somehow seems to see to it that it's done. And the Bible teaches that same principle and same truth that we do not get by with sin. We do not get by with mistreating each other. We do not get by with insulting one another. We do not get by with lack of forgiveness. If somebody has hurt you, forgive them quickly. If somebody has wronged you, don't wait for them to come and get on their knees and ask you to forgive them. Reach out in love, whether they ever ask you or not, and forgive them. Why? Because your heavenly Father, which seeth in secret, seeth you and will reward you openly. And Jesus said, if you forgive not men their trespasses against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses against him. And so the day of the Lord and the preaching of the day of the Lord that Jeremiah did and the word of the day of the Lord is always a reminder that you and I will have to give a report. And it's going to be a day of triumph. Now look in verse 22, and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. 
Oh, how precious. He is ours and we are His forever and forever. There's a song that we sing sometimes. I am loved. I am loved. And because I'm loved, I'm free to love others. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when I'm that important to Jesus, it makes somebody out of me. And I can reach out because he is in me and love you. And that's Christian faith. That's what it's all about. It's not doctrine, although I believe the Word of God. It's not conservative doctrine or liberal doctrine. It's not so much precept by precept and example by example, although that's very, very important, but the sum total of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and mind and soul and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor. How? Let's say it together. Yeah. That's not easy, is it? But that's it. And when we ask Jesus to do that through us, there's victory. And when a church does that, we can reach out to the ends of the city and the ends of the county and the ends of the state and the ends of the world because the Japanese are important and the Koreans are important and the South Americans are important and the Jews are important and the Gentiles are important. The people from Laos are important, from Cambodia, from Vietnam, all around the world, they're important. Why? Because Jesus loves me and he wants to reach out through me to them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this precious truth from God's Word, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a time of trouble, but it's also a time of triumph. And as we look down the years toward that day, may we be ready for it today, allowing Jesus to so fill and thrill our hearts that He can love through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. This is His invitation. And I'd like to encourage, if you've never trusted Jesus, you've never experienced letting His love flow through you to the lives of others, come and get in on it tonight. Well, not to have to beg you. It ought to be something you just want to run down the aisle and get in on I don't know why human nature is like this. I remember before I was saved, I wanted so much to be saved, and yet I, I was afraid, and I'd hold back, and I'd leave the service, and I'd say, I'm not ever going back, but God's Spirit got hold of my heart, and I'd want to go back. And, and so one night, as they sang the invitation, I bowed my head, and I said, Jesus, I, I want you to save me. But I'm afraid of all the people. And it seemed like Jesus said, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. And I took a step out in the aisle, and the Lord Jesus began to go with me, and he's never stopped. Amen. He's still going with me. He'll do that for you tonight. I dare you to come. Come to him. Come with your sins and your sorrows, your faith, your lack of faith, your hurts, your insults. Come with all the problems you've got. Come with all the depravity you've got. Just come. And he said, I'll not cast you out. Others may, 
but I won't. I'll love you. And then I'll give you the privilege of loving other people because I'll love them through you. And Christian friend, would you like to let Jesus love people through you? That's what witnessing is. That's what soul winning is. That's what godly living is. Just saying, Jesus, you can have my body, my mind, my hands, my feet, my ears, my eyes, my tongue, and you just love people through me. Would you like to come and say that to him tonight? Whatever it means. It may mean moving your membership here. It may mean starting a new life with God. Trusting him as Savior, rededicating your life, doing whatever Jesus tells you. And if you've been saved but have never been baptized, come and obey him in that initial experience of baptism. Will you come while we sing?